Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Real people doing real deals in real estate and no fake gurus allowed. We bring you the best and the most real real estate investors in the space. They'll be showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly of real estate investing. Like, share, subscribe, get notified. It's the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today, I have a treat for you. Um, I don't know if this is a treat or a blessing, but um, I I am excited about this particular one uh, for the fact that this man doesn't hold back at all. Man, he's an open book. He uh, he has plenty of life stories. Um, I got the honor and the pleasure to meet him in Phoenix, Arizona a few weeks ago uh, with his partner who's actually sitting behind the camera right now taking some <laughs> pictures. And, man, he's got a great story. I introduce to you Mr. Charlie Hustle. Thank you so much, Charlie, for flying all the way from California and coming here, man. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Man, it's an honor because... Um, very few people have a story like the one you have. Um, I, uh, I connected with you in many different ways. Okay. Um, and, and when, when we were at the all in event and, um, Cordy Sperber was talking and you like, I don't know, you came out of the blue. Hey, <laughs> it was like screaming and hollering. And, he's, and you say, Hey, this is Charlie Hustle. <laughs> and the guy, he picked up on you right away. Oh shit. Who is this guy? Right. And then you went and told your story. I don't want to get too far ahead, but um, after you told your story, I said, man, I got to get this guy in the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast because this is real. This is real life examples. Um, people go through life, and and Charlie has definitely gone through a lot of stuff, um, good and bad, and um, we're going to talk about that today. So let's take it back, Charlie, to when you were little, man. Where did you? Where were you born? Where do you grow up? How were your upbringings? I was born in San Diego County, and I moved around a lot. I moved down to, I lived a little bit in Orange County. Why, why were you moving, down, uh, moving, moving around a lot? Actually, I moved ar around a lot. Um, I remember one particular year, um, and it was really little, um, and I think it was because my folks were having trouble with like uh, some unemployment. They were having some challenges, yeah. and that's why we kept moving a lot. I was really little, so I, w I wasn't too sure. I, I just knew that I was moving a lot, and we moved so much that I actually, they retained me on the third grade. They actually held me back. They said, you're yeah, not yeah. going to go to the fourth grade. You're right. actually going to stay on the third grade. Okay, and uh, so so where are your parents? Where were they from? Um, my mother was born in Tijuana, Okay, and then she came here when she was really little, I think like three or four years old. Okay. Um, and my dad, uh, my real dad, was uh, born in Los Angeles County, and, and I actually uh, met him after forty years. So, I, after I didn't, how long? After forty plus years. Forty. Oh wow. So I, I didn't know who, who he was because, uh, for one, he spent some time in prison. Okay. So, um, you know, I didn't see him. Right. Um, 
And, um, and two, I had a stepfather that had uh, uh, filled in that role. Right. So, right. So, so he picked you up when you were little and, and he became your father, basically. He was my father and my father figure. And um, because of him, I was able to learn, um, you know, a lot of traits. I learned electrical, plumbing at a really young age. Um, he started as an immigrant uh, working on washers and dryers. And then he told his boss, hey, I want to do better. So I want to learn how to fix them. So his boss sent him to school in Los Angeles uh, to learn how to fix washers and dryers. Oh, wow. And then he became self-employed and was making over 100K. Wow. So I remember when I was uh, starting to get self-employed, like in my 20s, uh, you know, working as a handyman, he said, hey, um, I came to this country with nothing. Um, you know, I was merely just, uh, just like a janitor in the laundromat. And he said, if I'm making 100K, you have no excuse because you were born here. So you have everything. Right. So you have no excuse. Right. Um, and then lastly, I also saw my mother, um, you know, when she was young, she was working on the fields and the stra picking strawberries, um, you know, just like the rest of the migrant workers. And I saw her go from there to uh, working for the library, and then she actually became a realtor. Oh, wow. So I saw both of my parents, both of them go self-employed when I was really young. So I, I, I didn't have any excuse. I was, like, put up against the wall because both of my parents were said, hey, you don't have an excuse. You were actually born in the best country in the yeah, world. Yeah, you, you had a um, you had an upper hand over them, is what they were saying. Yes. They had to come here. They, they had to become immigrants and do a, a lot of hard labor to begin with, and then they started growing themselves. And, and you know, I was no different, too. Um, I, I've been an entrepreneur since I was probably like seven or years old because I started uh, cutting grass uh, for my neighbors. Okay. And then I graduated into a newspaper route. Then I was, I was a paper boy. Yeah. So, so I, I kept moving uh, up as I was young. Right. And early as, um, you know, even when I was uh, just turned 15, I already had a job. So most of my life, I've, I've been working pretty much for myself. What was that job when you were 15? The, the first job I ever had was at Taco Bell. It's the very first job I've ever had. Hey, man, I love Taco Bell. <laughs> I didn't gain all this weight by watching people eat, you know? <laughs> so that was the first job, and then what? How do you start progressing on your jobs? Like, whoa. Well, I, I think more than anything, um, I so I'm going to take a couple of steps back. You know, I think that, um, you know, like a lot of Hispanics, we fall into, the, like, this kind of cultural thing, whatever you want to call it, machismo, or, you know, at least for me, I felt like I had to be a certain way and do certain things. Um, and so that didn't help. That, that didn't help me. Um, you know, I was hanging around the wrong people. And I, I think it, it wasn't until... You wanted to be a bad boy. I wanted to be a, a, just a bad dude. Uh, yeah. Right? Um, I, I um, you, know, you know, even uh, in school... Um, you know, I was always getting into fights. I, I remember getting into my first fight in the second grade in front of my folks, like in front of my mom and dad. Wow. Right? Um, and that was accepted. It was okay as long as I didn't get my ass so whooped. I'm, I'm, so I'm wondering about your environment because, yeah, your mother and your father were hard workers, right? Yes. So were they gone most of the day? They were gone most of the day, so I spent a lot of time on the streets. That's why. So, so, so you were picking up all your habits and surroundings, not necessarily from your parents, but from the people around you. So, yes. And for me, it was more of a survival thing, right? So I'm just like a real survivor. I, that's all I know. You put me anywhere. I don't care where. 
Drop me off anywhere, I'll figure this shit out. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, That's but, one uh, thing uh, I know. There's a buddy of mine. His name is AC Ramos. He says he's a wholesaler to a real estate investor, actually. Uh, he says, Ricardo, man, you put me in the middle of fucking nowhere, <laughs> butt-ass naked. I will come back with a house and a bank account full of money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, he, I, I, can, I can relate to what you're saying. So is this just a survivor's mentality that you have? Um, and there's no, like, uh, you know, I didn't really have, like, any backup plans. Yeah. And so everything was just, like, um, you know, everything was just based on action. You know, you, you the first thing you, you, you pop it in your head, you just you just take action. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, I really started thinking about things and really looking back at my life, um, you know, that I was really wanting to make a change. Right, that change was really difficult to go from one environment to the other one. Okay, so what was let's 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 talk about the the let's talk about the hard environment. Okay, the rough one. What kind of things were you doing when you were like I don't know, eighteen, nineteen? Well, I'll were tell you, you banging? Well, I'll tell you this much: I, I hung around them, but what happens is I didn't like hanging around guys. I like hanging around the girls. So okay. so I wasn't into the whole gang thing, okay. right? I I. I I was more interested in, in making money, right, than, than just trying to do bad things. Right. Um, and so for the most part, I, like I mentioned, I've been self-employed, whether it's working on houses, may, maybe, I was selling a, maybe I was selling a little dope or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I was cutting grass, but I was always doing something. What kind, I, of, gra what kind of grass were you cutting? <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. Yeah, so, okay, so you, you were doing a lot of multiple things, right? Uh, and you mentioned something. You wanted to hang around girls. What was that? What was that? You just want, you just want to get laid or what? No, 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 uh, not at all. Um, the whole purpose was, you know, I, I think when, you know, when you get a, when people join gangs, um, and it's mostly all guys, right? And yeah. you're just doing bad things. And so that, even though I was. Yeah, you're just it, planning the next hit. Yeah. You're going to, who are you going to beat up? <laughs> Who who's the guy we're gonna <laughs> kick ass today, right? Like, but when you're with girls, what kind of conversations are well, you having? I mean, it's better, right? Because uh, uh, you know, if you're hanging around girls, you, you know, you can go places, have fun, do things. With guys, you're just getting in trouble. I'd rather hang out with the girls and go have fun, right? I'm a very outgoing person. Okay. And I, I didn't like just hanging around, uh, you know, just a bunch of guys. So that that gang thing that never. That was boring. Yeah, that no, was boring. No, I, I I would rather I would rather go out and do something more risky, right? Maybe, maybe maybe go sell some drugs than do the gang thing. That really never Yeah, the gang thing you knew was gonna get you in troubles. Well uh, but if you're gonna get in troubles you're gonna do it by selling dope, <laughs> not by beating people up, right? <laughs> no, I get it. I, I agree. They, I mean they, I, I wouldn't disagree with that either. They might um, get beat up if it don't pay the bill. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, so so how long were you in that life to where you were selling a little dope here, cutting some grass there, hanging out with the chicks. You know, what? I, I'm going to tell you what really changed in my life, um, like dra dramatically. What was it? Okay, a lot of people say that God changed your life. Yeah. For, for me, it was, it was the devil talking to me, saying, hey, come on. You ready to go? Come on. Right? He was inviting me to his house. Right. How did he look like? I didn't hear his voice. I mean, I didn't see him, but I heard his voice, and he was calling me. Okay. And, and I knew that if I took that route, right, you, wh whatever it is that you think of. So what was the voice saying? The voice was saying, hey, you, he was pretty much saying, hey, you know, you want to be done? We'll, I'll take your life right now today. Okay. 
Okay. Um, were, that, you, were you doing a lot of drugs at the yeah. time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So you can hear all yeah. kinds of crazy shit yeah. when you're under the influence. <laughs> yeah. That that day was a real uh, wake up call for me, and that day really changed my life because I know I didn't want to go down that route. Right. And I felt like I've always been a good guy, right? But I was just trapped in another body. Not only that, man, most drug addicts um, or people that become drug addicts, because you're not a drug addict first. You mm -hmm. just try it, right? And at the beginning, it's all nice and cool and, and, and the, the, the feeling, euphoria, however you want to call it. I don't know because I don't do drugs. Uh, can't say that, never have, but... Um, But once you start going down that path and then you don't really like what you're doing because you don't feel well, you know, and I, I, I got friends that were big into like cocaine and stuff like that. And they said, man, you just got to do some more so you don't come down so you can stay up. Right. So eventually that hangover is going to get to you. And you're like, ah, I don't want this anymore because I need this thing to, to kind of like function. Um, and I can, I can, I could only imagine what the devil will sound like, you know, like you want, you want, you know, like you said, he wants your life. He can take it down. And it's kind of like a wake up call for you. It's like, now that you quit cold Turkey, how, how did that work? You know, it was do or die. Right. So, um, I stopped talking to everyone, everyone I knew. I, I actually moved to another County. And when I say everyone, I mean, everyone ex except You know, at that time, it, you know, was my girlfriend, but now my wife. But I stopped talking to everyone. When I say everyone, I mean everyone, sir. Every single person that I knew, I just moved to a different county. And, and Where do you go? What county was that? Um, I was living in San Diego County, and I went down to Riverside County. Okay. Where you are now, right? Uh, where I'm at now. Okay. And, so, um, and so I totally got a new set of friends. I got a, a new set of Did skills. Did you read that somewhere? Yeah, or, Robert, or, okay. Robert Rich Dad Poor Dad, actually that book is the one that changed my life, and I was not a reader. I read that book. How the hell do you pick up that book? Because I can picture that many people in that state picking up a book. So um, because of, of my nice Irish gal that grew up reading, okay, we, we went to a bookstore because she loves to read. And so we went. And I was just, uh, you know, um, you know, just looking around for books. And I, out of all the books, you know, I didn't even read. That one was there, and I just picked I it just up. Picked it up. I, I picked it up, and then I said, I should ask the cashier if it's a good book. And she said, it's, it's the number one book. I read the book, and then after it was done, I still have the book. I turned it over, and I said, now I know exactly what my purpose is. Now I know what I want to do. This is it. And that's what really started that well, journey. Sir, the book picked you, man. Mm. That book picked you. Um, the universe has a strange way of working things for us, right? So, okay, so you read the book. You're like, shit, I got to be on one of the quadrants. And I am not in, I'm not in any quadrants <laughs> right now. <laughs> zero. Right, you were on zero, on the zero. You were outside of that box, right? Uh, completely outside of the box. So once you read the book, what was the next step? The next step was going to be, um, it, it was going to be um, uh, self-growth. Um, self-development. Thank you. Self-development. And that was the biggest thing, right? Because I needed to get my head on right before I could move forward. So I, I did a lot of um, hypnosis 
Um, I did a lot of tapping. Have you ever met uh, Mark Juswick? I don't think so. I got to introduce you to that guy. He's a master hypnotist. Oh, I, I, will, I would love that. This I, dude is badass. I'm telling you right now. Badass. I love it. He lives in Vegas, so not please, far from please, you. Please do. I will. I will. Him. He's my, I, my friend. So I am a firm believer. And what I did was um, uh, not only uh, did I do like NLP, I not only did I do tapping. Um, you know, There's I, another guy, Ruben Mata. He lives oh, yeah. In, you know Ruben? I, no, I've heard of Ruben Mata, though. Great friend of mine. Mm. Great friend of mine. Literally, we do stuff together all the time. That's awesome. He's in Orange County, not far from you. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure I'll introduce you to him, too. Please do. Shout out to Ruben, man. <laughs> hey, your Ruben has been in this podcast twice. Um, and um, true story, man. The first time he can. Uh, that's why I love doing this podcast, because I get to know people at a personal level more than anything else. And uh, when Ruben came in, I really didn't know his story, man. I thought I knew of him, but I didn't know him that well. And he told his story on how he almost committed suicide and pretty much cut his, was going to cut his veins up. And um, when he, he was in a very bad spot, you know, in his life, you know, emotionally and financially, he had lost everything, the whole nine yards. And I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said here before, so... It's not like I'm trying to gossip or anything like that, right? Full disclosure. Um, when he's getting ready to take his life, um, he heard a voice. But this time he heard God. He didn't hear the devil. And the voice he heard is, it is not your life to take. Mm, wow. Stand. And he, uh, I mean, he had the razor in his hand. And he was like, he started crying, and then he just stood up and, he didn't kill himself. Wow. Um, so interesting. We've had two different people on this podcast now. One that talks uh, was talked by God, and another one that's talking to the was talking to the devil at some point. Mm-hmm. So, but I'll make sure I'll make that introduction because he's not far from you, and he's a great friend of mine. That'd be awesome. So, okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you. So, you went through the cell. You you started doing self development. On my own. NLP. I mean, you talked about hypnotist first, then NLP. Tapping. You ever heard of tapping? Uh, I've heard of tapping some things, but what, what, are, what, what is tapping? Uh, tapping is to get your left brain and your right brain. Okay, yes. In sync. So, yes. so you're, you're going to tap in certain places. Yeah. Right, just to trigger. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever read the book uh, um, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind? Yes. So you got to touch your head and say, I am a... Whatever, that, that's what that is, tapping. So, so, so that's so great, right? Tapping. So let's, let's talk about that because that's what I did. Imagine like a computer that's, that's got nothing in it or right. has the wrong information. Right. You got to take out the wrong information and yep. you got to put in the right information. The right information. I had all the wrong information, Ricardo. Yeah. So I was desperately looking for all the Not right only information. You. A lot of us had the, all the wrong information <laughs> <laughs> in the freaking hard drive, you know? So um, it's just that some of us stay there longer than others. That's it. Um, how do you do that? Like, well, it, it, it is a mindset. And, and, for, and for me, when I had decided that, um, you know, I was going to, um, that I was really going to put my mind, um, body, and soul, and everything. And when I say everything, Ricardo, I burned every boat. Okay? When I say I'm willing to give up everything, that's like everything that I have. That meant, in, you know, 
getting rid of everyone in my life. And when I say everyone. Yeah, that's the first thing you did. You upgraded your friends. Yeah. You said, hey, man, I can't talk to these people no more. I'm going to go from San Diego County to Orange County. Is it, no, Riverside, Riverside uh, County. And by the way, I'm going to make it a point to where I'm not talking to them anymore. Guys, this is one of the most valuable lessons that we just started with today in the podcast is upgrading your friends. Uh, I don't know how many times I tell people, you got to upgrade your friends. You got to quit talking to some of your family members because sometimes your family members are the ones keeping you down. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean you don't love them, right? You know, you get the, that cousin or, or, or uncles or whatever that they did stuff to you or they, they're not a good, you know, they're not good for your environment. And they still love you, right? But that doesn't mean you don't love them back. But just because you're not talking to them doesn't mean you don't love them back. You just got to upgrade mm -hmm. from there because you're, you know they're not good for you. Or the friends that are... Saying, hey, let's go out party on Saturday night or Friday night or, hey, let's go do these drugs or, or get drunk or get hot. You got to upgrade those things. Uh, and if you don't do it, then you're going to just be stuck there. Yeah, you know, um, doing the reverse of what you said, which would be reading more, um, go to sleep early, um, you know, surround yourself with people that have more knowledge and more money than yeah. you do. Yeah. Um. And then really, for me, it was just a mental. It, it was a mentality, right? And so once I started working on myself and, and getting rid of, like, all the crap, and then I, then I was able to really start moving forward and really gaining some traction. So I spent a while... Uh, working on yourself. In self-development, a long time. Are I, you still doing self-development? I still do. Uh, every morning, um, every morning I, do, I go into, like, heavy meditation... And I really try to see what my day is going to look like. I foresee, uh, hey, this week, um, this is going to happen. I try to put it out in the universe. Visualizing. Visualize, because for me, it's really real. I know that if I can, if, if it's in here, and then I put it on some tangible, which is a piece of paper, because now I can see the piece of paper. I can tear the piece of paper, right? It's, it's, it's real, right? Um, the thing is, when people don't put their goals on paper, it's not real because it's not tangible. And you They're just really wishes. It's just wishes. Um, I would write every single day, and I would um, recite it every single day, the actions that I was going to take. So, What year is this? When, how long ago was this? Um, I, I want to say the first couple years between uh, 2000, uh, like 2009 to you know 2012 was all, where all the... Where, All where the self-development started to happen. Yeah. So when 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 will you consider that you had left drugs behind or that world behind? Not necessarily drugs. It, it was just the whole environment. Yeah, just the whole uh, the whole negative environment. I, I would say I really started leaving that like in you know when I started um, when you moved when I was really yeah when I moved in two thousand nine. That's when everything happened. So I would say move out of your house. Right, get rid of all your friends. If if your partner, if your partner is behind you, great. If your partner's not behind you, move on. Leave the partner too. Leave the partner. Leave the family. Leave the friends. Leave everything. Like move, and then start new. And how was that first month, man? I think that any change is really difficult, and. Um, I think it's an uphill battle the first couple of years. So I wouldn't even say their first month. Yeah, but like if you're intoxicated, right, and you're cleaning yourself up now, 
you're leaving all that shit behind. How how is that like? Imagine imagine that you're like at the Mojave Desert and and, and, and it's like 120 yeah. 120 degrees and, and you're going out. You know you, you got to go up like a massive mountain. Right. That's what it feels like. That's what you're looking at. It's not easy. It is tough. You you really need to dig so deep down inside that you got to go back to when you were a kid. So I had to keep going back to when I was five, six, seven, eight years old, as far as I can remember, to make things good then. Because everything you do as an adult goes back to when you were a child. So now you're an adult, but you still have these childlike manners, right? So I had to go back, as far as I can remember, and start making peace with that. So now as an adult, that no longer... Right, that's no longer uh, carried with me. Well, the, the reality is is that most of us, not all of us, but most of us, we operate at the seven-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Why, why do I say that? Because your subconscious mind and who you are is created by the time you're seven. Mm-hmm. So anything after that is just a reflection mm-hmm. of the seven-year-old, right? What you did when you started getting cleaned up and you moved on and all that is you started working on fixing the seven-year-old. Yes. That's why you had to make peace with the seven-year-old. Yes. It's not that you were making peace. You were fixing the Mm seven-year-old. See, the seven-year-old didn't know how to behave the rest of his life. And that's why you get into drugs, you get into the the hanging out, whatever. You know, we all do. I mean, I I can tell you I was a full-blown alcoholic by the age of 15 years old, you know, so... We all got our skeletons in the closet. The beautiful thing is guys like you and me, we open up and we, we let the skeletons out to help other people out. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has the balls to do that. Um, so, so, and the reason I ask you about the uphill battle is because I never went through the, uh, drug addiction myself or being in, in, a, in a situation where I had to go get, get myself cleaned up or, or rehabbed or whatever, but I'm going to imagine or suppose, and I'm... And, Correct me if I'm wrong, that that's probably what you were doing when you moved. You were just detoxing yourself from people, chemicals, environment, like the whole culture, the whole culture, right? And sometimes it's not even the drug, the problem. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's more of the environment yes. that gets you in there, you know, because drugs are in your system for just a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, even cigarette, you know. Tobacco lasts in your bloodstream for 48 to 72 hours. That's it. After that, you're not really addicted to tobacco. Mm-hmm. What you got is a habit. Yes. Bring in your freaking hand. And I used to be a smoker. That's why I know about that stuff. <laughs> but anyhow, um, it's a big mountain at 120 degrees, and you're just getting started at the bottom. Yes. What kind of support system did you build uh, going up the mountain? I have a day zero or a day one, and that's uh, my wife. And I want to say that I owe a lot to her. And because of her, I'm here today in front of you. What's her name? Uh, her name's Chrissy. <laughs> Chrissy, thank you so much for allowing this guy to be in front of us today and for helping him out and for being his support system. I can tell you love that woman with all she, your heart. You, you know, I think that behind every strong man is a stronger woman. Yes. And, and I want to say... Um, you know, I really want to say that the women are our real backbones. They're the ones that really got the muscle. Yep. They really do. We, we think that we do. Just know we don't. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? And so um, she, she did something that I was never used to. Right? She, besides being 
you know, my girlfriend, now my wife, uh, she was very caring, and, and she gave me that nurture that I never got as a kid. Right, your parents were out, were, were working. Um, not only were they were working, but they had the kind of the whole culture of, um, you know, like, hey, if you don't do that, I'm going to whip your ass. Like, you need to get done, like, right now. Yeah. Right? And so there was never, like... Yeah, there was a culture of uh, discipline. I'm going to discipline you, but there was not a culture of I'm going to love you. Correct. And I never got that. And so... I got a little bit of that. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> you know, I just got a little bit of that. But my mom will tell me that she will love me. My dad, too, but uh, it was more discipline than anything else, you know. Uh, in my case... My case wasn't like that. There wasn't. Yeah. No, there there really wasn't. And it was more like if I came home and I got my ass kicked and I got a black eye, I was going to get my ass kicked again at home. Okay? Yeah. If I got in a fight and I fight one, I was okay. Well, well my grandfather was like that, though. <laughs> I, I remember one time I got into a fight with a, one of the neighbors and shit. And he kicked my ass, man. And I went in the house just crying. And, well, my fucking arm is all hurting or whatever. And he just said, if you don't go about the, back out there and kick his ass, I'm going to kick your ass right now. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to go back out there and <laughs> kick his ass. Right? So so I can, I, can, I can understand what you're talking about. So do you have kids? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have two kids. How many times do you tell them you love them? Uh, pretty much every time I talk to them on the phone or through text message. Yeah, you're changing. The, the, you're changing the... Your directory is what I wanted to change. And one of the reasons was for my wife and for, and for my two boys, because I didn't want them to grow up and say, oh, my dad is a drug dealer. My, my dad is in prison. I, I did not want that because I had that. So I was not going to put them through that. Right. But that's why the, that's the real reason I changed. The real reason I changed. That's awesome. Because I wanted those two boys, right, to look up and be proud. How and, old are they now? Uh, 19. One's 19, the other one um, is 18. He called calling, they're called calling already or what? They're actually <laughs> door knocking. They're door knocking. They door knock. Um, they're, uh, um, they work as plumbers, uh, but they have come into the office and they do door knock. Um, and they're, they're, they're part of, you know, um, what we got going on with the real estate business. That's awesome, man. So, all right, let's talk about real estate. How do you get into real estate? Well, my my mom uh, my mom was a realtor. Um, my brother was a mortgage guy, still is a mortgage guy, and and I have a sister also that is in real estate also. Okay. So um, all my family does real estate. What kind of real estate is your sister doing? She's just a regular agent. An agent, okay. Yeah, and so is my mother, and my brother uh, does uh, is a mortgage broker. Well, how do you land here? Like I understand you got your family is in real estate. Uh, how do you say I'm going to become a wholesaler or a flipper or whatever? I don't know. Like, how do you enter I, the world of real estate? I read that Robert Kiyosaki book, and I thought I wanted to be a flipper until I learned that I that I hated uh, construction. Uh, actually, I hated the guys that I work with. I did not like that part of it. I liked being on my own, um, but I didn't want to work in construction. I didn't want to. I worked a little bit doing loans with my brother. I didn't want to do loans. I didn't want to show property like my mother and sister, um, but I like construction, and um, I what I really liked was the negotiations part of it. So, in in 2012, when I started working for this uh, flipper that turned into um, uh, a builder, okay, right when I saw what all the crap that he was going through, 
then I sw- my mind switched. I thought, hey, I don't really want to be a flipper. I don't want to do that, right? And then I found this other avenue of, uh, of wholesaling, and I really liked that. I really loved wholesaling. I said, hey, I like talking to people, right? I don't really like to pick up the hammer, but I like talking to people. Yeah. I like negotiations. I like all that stuff. Um, and that's where I started attending, um, you know, my local real estate club. And that's where I really got into um, the wholesaling. I thought, hey, this is the avenue that I wanted to take. That's awesome. And what what year are we talking about this? Um, I want to say that 2015, um, when I started as a door knocker for Home Investors of America, that's where I got the little switch. So it wasn't until I actually started going out and started door knocking. Were you door knocking pre-foreclosures or? Yep, notice of defaults, notice of trustee sales, and and it was mostly down in the hood. So it worked out really great for me. I was working down in the hood, and it was really easy because nobody wanted to go there. Yeah, so you had the market it, for yourself. It worked out really great um, uh, for me, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot on notice of defaults. Um, I started learning more, and that's really what propelled me from working as a door knocker to actually um, starting up a, a company and actually starting doing wholesaling. And this is 2015 going on 2016. Mm-hmm. And you were just by yourself. Yep. I was just door knocking. Uh, and, you know, I, I've always had a couple, like, I've always had, like, a little, small little entourage. Entourage, Always. Yeah. Always. I was like, hey, you want to go door knocking? Cool. Let's go. Let's go. Who else want to go? Right? Um, even at my local real estate club, I was I was known as a door knocker. Okay. Um, but that was 2015 and 2016. Okay. And when, when is it that you started learning from Cody Sperber? Well, in Cody Sperber really was really at the beginning in 2012. That's a long time. That's a long time ago. And the thing is, it's I nine knew years zero. Ago. Near, I, near I didn't know anything. I had no idea. He had the only thing I knew, um, that I got was to go out. For me to take uh, massive action was to go out put signs. So 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 that's what I did. I went out and put signs, and um, as you know, we're, you know, would you mind if we get into that? Yeah. Okay. So in 2012 um, was at the very beginning that I took Cody Sperber's uh, uh, course. Okay. Okay. And I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I wanted to take the most action. So I I kept uh, kicking Cody's shins. I was like, listen, what do I need to do today? Like today. Right? What needs to happen today? Like, I want to take some action today. And uh, he's like, go put out banner signs. So I did, and the phone rang, and I was able to get a house. I got a house. I didn't know what I was doing. And I got Cody uh, on the phone to help me negotiate this thing. Okay. Um, so that was, like, my very first experience, which turned out to be a very tough experience, right? Because I actually wasn't talking to the real seller. Uh, oh, that's the story you told him. Okay, let's get on to that. Uh, let me <laughs> let me let me sit back and relax here. Uh, I want you to tell this story. Come on, let's do it. Okay, so 2012, fresh. You, I didn't know anything. I didn't know much. I just knew that I wanted to do it. And so when I started with Cody, um, you know, he was giving me uh, all the modules and I was watching everything, but I, I wanted to take action. And once I started putting up signs... Like I mentioned, I got a house, but it turned out to be the wrong seller. And so I was excited. So I was like, imagine, like, I was, like, had these. Uh, yeah, it was a seller that didn't own the house. He didn't own the house. And he had signed all the paperwork. 
and I had got a, an escrow company that was going to help me. And so, so we did all the paperwork. He, you know, he signed. Um, everything seemed to be going uh, pretty good. I actually, I actually put the house up on Craigslist. Okay. And I ended up getting like a crowd of like 12 people that just showed up. Yeah, and I ended up showing the house, and it was actually uh, it was uh, it was actually occupied by the renters, but but the guy was really cool. He was really cool for me to show the house. Now, when we started getting closer close to escrow, it turned out that the real owner of the property showed up to the escrow company, and that's where we that's where we started having issues, right? Um, he showed up. Um, I was already in the escrow company, and um, the other guy didn't show up. The other guy. The other seller. The other seller that. The fake seller. The fake seller didn't show up, but the real seller ended up showing up at the escrow company. Okay. And that's where things took a turn. And um, so how were you able to coordinate showings with the tenants? So I was talking to the fake seller. Okay. And he said, sure, go ahead. You can go ahead and, and, and show the house, but there's someone there. So he said, coordinate with the renter. So oh, I coordinated so with the he, renter. He gave you permission to go talk to the renter. Yeah. That's crazy. Then I was well, the crazier part is that I put it up on Craigslist and I had all these people show up. Right. And out of all those people, I happened to, I was like, I need to pick one. I, that's what they told me to do. So I picked one. I picked the wrong guy. I picked the, the wrong guy uh, to do business with. Um, the right guy shows up uh, at the escrow office, and, and, and he ends up calling, uh, he ends up calling the, the police department. And they show up. Yeah. Police department shows up at the escrow office. Right? I get on the phone. All right. Hey, hey Cody, the, the, the police showed up here. Right? The police showed up, and I'm like, I, I'm not sure what's going on, right? Because the escrow person said, hey, I need you to move uh, to this room, right? We, they had me and the, the correct seller in the same room, and he stepped out, uh, I suppose, to call the police, right? And then the escrow... But you, did you do, didn't you talk to the guys like, hey, man, you own this property? I, don't I didn't know him. I, I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know... That the guy sitting next to me was a real seller. I, I didn't know. I, I don't even know how he ended up showing at the escrow office. It must have been the escrow office that one that called him. Yeah, but we had the fake person's name and phone number. We didn't have the correct seller's phone number. Okay. Oh, I see. Maybe they could have pulled up his. Yeah. That's right. They okay. pulled up his address. And hey, man, there's somebody trying to wholesale your house here. Really? Let me go look at it, right? So, so th that's where the, the problem happened. Was um was that I was talking to the, I I did not have any experience right I was talking to the wrong person and I didn't even know how the process was supposed to work right um so all right so the the correct seller shows up all that police shows up then what you go to jail yeah they they actually um they actually uh, uh take me to jail right so how do you get out well what happened was. You know, as I was leaving, the, they put me in handcuffs. I was leaving. The, I see the escrow owner, and I said, I, I told the, the police, hey, uh, hold on a second. And I said, hey, um, I told the, the owner of the escrow company, hey, I, I apologize 
that this is happening. I was like unaware what's going on. But I said, I'm sorry. I want to apologize to you. So they take me to the station and I was there for 15 or 20 minutes. And they, 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 then they, they brought me back. They actually brought me back. To the escrow. They brought me back to the escrow office. And where I saw the owner, I mean, where I saw the owner of the escrow office and the real seller talking. And then so that so that so so that they said okay, uh, we're gonna release you right now. So they le- release me, and then I start talking to the real owner. He's like, "Hey, this Jamaican guy, he's already got me for a couple properties. Could you help me?" And I said, "I'll help you," um, but I was I was, you know, I was already counting on this money to make my payment, my, make my mortgage payment. So I'll help you, but it's gonna cost you fifteen hundred dollars. I said, if you want to do it, I'll help you, but it's not going to be for free. So I called this Jamaican dude, and I arranged to meet with him in downtown Los Angeles. And the arrangement that we had, because I needed the money, was that I was going to meet him, and I told um, I told the fake seller. Um, that was the Jamaican dude. Yeah, that we were going to meet, and then I needed a, uh, that I was going to need a piece of paper signed, and then the next day or the next couple of days, the next three days, they would release the rest of the money. Right. So, so I set a time and date to meet him in downtown Los Angeles. Okay. So now, me and the real seller uh, meet near um, near near uh, East Los Angeles. Okay. And he's got a bodyguard, right? He's got a bodyguard, and we're gonna meet this guy. And the bodyguard has a gun. And I tell this guy, "Hey, I'm only doing this because I need the money, right? So I'm gonna risk my life. But if that guy has a gun, right? You know, I don't have a gun. You got a gun." I want you to shoot that guy because if it's my life or his life, I want you to take his life. Right. And he said, and I said, Hey, I'm not messing around. If that guy puts a gun to me, I want you to pull the trigger on that guy. Fucking crazy, <laughs> Right. So, um, he says, okay. So we're probably about 20 minutes from downtown Los Angeles. He said, Hey, I, I want you to see what this Jamaican guy looks like. Right. Cause I want you to make sure. Right. I said, no problem. So we stopped by uh, the police station where they're going to show me a picture of this Jamaican guy. And I never end up leaving that police station. Because what I didn't know was that same police station was already looking for me because it had already been reported. So I never ended up leaving the police station. They reported what? Oh, that uh, the real seller had reported that the, he that there was something uh, going on with his property, uh, I, I think like two days prior before we met in escrow. So this guy, this um, uh, this uh, police station, right? They had already knowledge two days prior. So in their book, I was already guilty. So I never should have showed up to that police station. So the seller, the real seller, said, "Let, let me show. We're going to stop by the station so you can see a picture." Of the fraud guy, right? But in there questioning me, uh, I never left the police station. Okay. And from, from, from you know, um, and I was talking to the detective, and I pretty much told him exactly what happened, and he was like, it just sounds crazy that you're going to pick up the house for like, you know, for like $90,000. That's just like insane. He's like, that's the part that I'm having trouble with, right? Um 
So anyhow, um, I ended up going, I think, for maybe, I think I went in maybe Thursday night or Friday. I think I got out uh, on Monday. So I did, um, you know, about four days or so. Yeah, and um, so how do you get bailed out? What was the process there? like? Well, um, the same detective that put me in there uh, uh, call, uh, called, called my, uh, my wife had got a hold of the detective. And the same detective said, hey, I'm, I, there's not enough evidence so we're going to release him on own, uh, they call it own recognition or something. So ba basically, I walked out on, on Monday. The, the detective let me out. But now I had this court date. Now I got yeah, a court you gotta date. You got to go show up. I got a court date. It's like, hey, you can't do nothing, I think, for, for a year. I can't do nothing. Can't leave. I can't leave the state. Um, can't work in real estate. Can't do, they said, don't do nothing. So a year ago, a year goes by. Right, and I got this court date, so uh, I show up, and they're like, "Hey, it was never even filed. They never even filed the case, so there's zero. So um, that's fucking crazy. I, I went all that through all <laughs> that stuff because and the guy, because the because the detective said there's no way that you can buy a house that cheap. Wow, and so and and uh do you ever reach out to Corey and said hey can you help me here like is there something that we can do that way i can prove my innocence or something you know i you know while i was there um i wrote cody a letter right it was really mostly for myself but i wrote him a letter saying hey things went terribly wrong right but i want you to know that i'm never gonna give up like this is not gonna stop me while I was in jail. And the guy next to me was in there for murder. Yeah, no, I know. I, 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 I've been murder. there. I, I've been there too. <laughs> so I know I know what kind of specimens you get yourself in it, you know? So I wrote him a letter and it was really for me saying I would never give up. And that was right. it really held it really close to here. So when you heard me, that was when you heard me that day in Arizona, he, he didn't even know that I've done one transaction because I kept my mouth shut. I never told Cody anything. Because I really wanted to show him that I really went, did something. So this is career. this is in 2012 that you that he was your mentor yeah. at the time, right? You went to jail sometime in 2012 for a few days. Then you had a court date a year later. Uh, you wrote him a letter saying, "I'm gonna never give up." Well, I was in jail. While you were in jail, I would have been writing him a letter like, "Fuck you, <laughs> uh, this, this, and that. You got me in troubles. I don't know uh, something along those lines, right?" But no, that's not that wasn't you. That you were like, hey man, I'm gonna stick to it. I'm gonna make this thing work. I'm never gonna give up. I can't do shit right now, but I'm gonna hold back. What did you end up doing during that year? Like, you know, I was um, like I said, I was mostly a handyman where I did a lot of work for myself. Like, um, you know, my forte was tile, so I could build countertops, build showers, uh, do flooring. I also did. Um, you know, baseboards, yeah, uh, painting, just carpentry so, work. And yeah, all that. so yeah. so that's what I did. So um, luckily, um, I had heard um, another guy, Aaron, that you know. He had mentioned in one of uh, his podcasts. He said, "Hey, if you want to get into real estate, you want to be good. You know, start a handyman business." And so that got me really excited, right? That got me really excited. You open up another door. That got me really excited, and um, and you know, I think that helped. That helped uh, my real estate career because I was already talking to homeowners, but it was only about their about fixing their property. And today, I only talk about buying their property instead of fixing their property. Yeah. So it helped out a lot because I got to see body language. 
right? I got to really create a report. He, yeah, hear the tone of their voice. Understand. And, and then, and then, and then, um, find you know, motivation. Yeah, but my biggest thing was body language. Like the words, they didn't, they counted, but not as much as your body N- language. NLP will tell everything. Yeah. So, okay. So now this is 2013. When did you re engage back into real estate? 2015 is when I went. So you went about three years, but you worked as a handyman. Your case was in the past. And in 2015, you re-engaged. You, I would have fucking had PTSD over that shit. I was like, man, going out to uh, find a house, there's no freaking way I'm going to go find me a house after I spent a weekend in jail for finding a house and, sell, and wholesaling it, you know? Everyone told me, don't do it. No, the, no, and, and, and the, you know, and, pro- and everyone was wrong, obviously. Um... But me personally, if I would like, if I'm brand new, spanking new, right, and I go through somebody's training, call it Cordy, whoever, right, <laughs> and I, I'm about to close my first deal, and I end up in jail that weekend, I doubt that I'll ever get back into fucking real estate that way, right? How how the hell do you open up yourself again to that? Like, well, I, I, I so. I'm going to back up just a little bit so so you can understand where I'm coming from. I lived in Tijuana for a couple years, so I got to see the worst of the worst from a third world country. I got to see all the worst shit. This uh, country is the best country in the world. So going from like almost a third world country. No, it it is a third world country. I I was like, this is a piece of cake. And I thought, hey, I'm never going to give up unless God takes my life. That's the only way I would give up. And... I made a lot of promises to my wife and let her in saying, hey, it, I'm going I'm to make it this next month. And this next month went to another year. And the next year went to five years. And then five years went to ten years. But one thing I was never going to do is ever give up. Ever. That never even crossed my line. Never. I'd rather sleep in my car. I'd rather do anything. So how do you end up sleeping in your car? You told me that earlier. It's like, man, I, I slept in my car. I've been homeless. I'm this, been this. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Uh, I think... Whether you're working for yourself as a handyman or, you know, any entrepreneurship, right? You got your ups and downs. And when it goes down, there's no money. And when there's no money, you're going to find a way. Or I'm going to find a way. You found yourself in a situation where you have more month at the end of your money. Yep. And so because I was a rehabber, I spent a lot of time, um, um, you know, working on houses. I had a little crew. So... What we would do is we would go away to, um, you know, like another county, like L.A. County, um, uh, Palm Springs, and we would stay and live at the house. And while you work on While you're working. Yeah. But when I got into real estate, um, you know, I couldn't stay at the house because I wasn't fixing it. Right. Right. And I live an hour, about an hour away from the office. So I knew I couldn't go back and forth because I didn't have any money. I spent it on marketing. I, I, I spent it on um, we spent $25,000 on mailers that maybe, maybe, maybe we just bought one house. Who do you learn? Who do you learn that from the mailers? We learned it from ourselves. Okay. You were just trying to do, we, trying we, to do whatever. We were action takers. So yeah. we're going to take the action and then figure it out later. Right. Yeah. So, so when times got tough, right. And I couldn't make it back home because I really didn't have any money. I was going to stay in the car because I knew I wasn't going to die. I know it won't happen. Even if it's for a week, a month, five months, I'm going to figure it out. Right. 
Um, and I think, um, and I think I'm blessed. I'm blessed to go through all this stuff because I can't imagine that if I had not, right? If I had not go endured all this stuff, I may be doing something that I don't want to be doing, like like swinging a hammer, right? Yeah, I'd like rather, yeah, fixing houses, whatever. Maybe driving a taxi. Who knows? Doing something I don't want to do. Yeah, I don't want to so do. So what do you, what do you like the best about what you do right now? The best thing, the most fulfilling thing that I like is really helping folks out. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, at least in my world, they don't have money. They don't have electricity. They don't have water. They don't even have food. And it, 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 the best feeling in the world is to really give to those people because they don't have anything. And expect zero in return because I know what it's like. I know the struggle for reals. And the best feeling is hugging those people. And let them know that someone does love them and someone does care. And that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why I'm here on this earth. To right? help other people out. To help all those folks, the less fortunate. Right. Right? The, the underdogs. Now, now do, you, do, you, do you believe in uh, creating your own fortune? Oh, yes, sir. So why do you think they're less fortunate? I think that they're less fortunate um, and I, be, because they don't know what they don't know. Right, you're you're unconscious, unconscious, and you can become unconscious, conscious. Right, you're unaware, but you can become aware, and they just don't know because they don't know. Yeah, and there nobody makes them aware, or if somebody's trying to make them aware, they don't want to be. They're asleep. They're asleep. They don't want to wake up. No, right. They don't that reality be. is tough, Ricardo. That reality is a brutal reality when you wake up and you're on your own, and you got to go, you know, fend for yourself. Go hunting for yourself, and you do everything on your own. I know. I do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, good, man. So so now uh, you love helping people. I can, I can tell uh, you got a big heart. Um, now you have a wholesaling operation, right? What does that look like? It's, uh, it's me and another guy. We're partners. Actually, there's three of us. Okay. But it's really um, me and Tommy. Okay. Was actually here on the studio, by the way, but <laughs> just hiding behind the camera, taking videos. He, he likes to be. He, he, he likes, yeah. to, be the, he likes on, to be the on background, stage. the background guy. He, he likes to be the guy. Just that's good. That's good. And, you know, um, what what it looks like today is uh, it's me and Tommy, and then our other partner is a buyer, but he's been there from day one. Okay, so he's part of our team. We have uh, high level meetings, high level level ten meetings three times a week, where we're all on board, and okay. we just put everything on there. But today, what it looks like, it's um, me and Tommy, our wives. My wife is in acquisitions. Okay. Tommy's wife is in disposition. Uh, we have one er, one integrator that helps us with the SMS. Uh, he is from um, he's from the Middle East. Uh, and then we got uh, three VAs okay. from, from the Philippines. And we're bringing one gal up from the cold callers. We're pushing her up to be on offense on acquisition. Awesome. Um, and uh, what kind of um, lead flow, or not lead flow, but maybe deal flow do you have going on at any given time? So when you say deal flow, like leads coming like in? Like how many, no, no, contracts do you have? How many are you selling? Oh, I see. Okay, so so I want to say for probably the last, uh, you know, year or last 10 months, we've been consistent in closing uh, at least one or two deals a month. Okay. You know, over the summer, we you know we got four in one month. That's but good. typically, what it looks like is one or two deals every month. Yeah. What's the average? What's the average assignment? 
I think the average assignment is probably going to be somewhere between 10 and 15, okay. typically. Okay, so you have thirty to $40,000 a month, roughly, roughly coming in with the current deal flow that you have. Yeah, I, I, I would Not say. every month, because we know some months you don't close on nothing, and then another month you close on three. And some, when you have just a few deals on the pipeline, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you're... you're in, you're consistently bringing deals, but your cash flow may be inconsistent That's right. because of, of when they close That's and right. the time it takes you to get more. Mm-hmm. I know I've been there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you, you know what we really have? I want to mention this. Um, throughout the years, and, and this is just recent, it's just recent that we I feel like we really have gone full circle and now we just need to do all the work. And what I mean by that is now we have a full-time driver. And his job is just to, just to drive, yeah. right? The next sequence after that is our integrator is going to send a, a, a piece of mail. Right. The next sequence after that is we're going to send them a text message based on the mailer. Right. And then the next sequence after that is we're going to call them based on the piece of mail, right. right? And so we're always bringing in new leads every single. Our cold callers do a really good job. We typically are getting pushed somewhere between five and seven leads that are coming in into our CRM. Uh, are they? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Roughly. Um, so I, f- I feel like uh, just recently we have the whole operation in full circle, and now we're just kind of moving you know people around. I mentioned we have one cold caller. We're moving her up to acquisition because we need more on the offense, right? So we're, we're getting her to actually um, be able to qualify before they get to me or to Tommy. Yeah, you're closers. Yeah. So that's a one, one, play, what's one thing that we were lagging on is we were actually doing – the qualifying. Yeah, yeah, you're doing lead generating, qualifying, closing, selling, the whole nine. You're wearing all the different hats. <laughs> what I find is that most people that are doing anywhere from one to five deals, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're doing the whole, they're, they got 10 multiple hats. They're so fast at changing hats, it's unreal, right? So what I find is the guys that are doing five and up, um, let's say five to 10 deals, contracted on a monthly basis, they might wear less hats, mm-hmm. but they got more people now on their on their on their on their team. Um, and the guys that are doing twenty and up, they wear one hat. Mm-hmm. And now they got a bunch of team members mm-hmm. that are have one hat each. And if if I had to describe it on on deal flow, that's what I've seen. Because I had before you guys came in, I had uh, another guy He's doing phenomenal JV deals. Uh, shout out to Milton, uh, who's probably listening <laughs> to this podcast now. And he's killing it on JVs. He's a Dispo guy. So mm. JVs on the Dispo guy, but he wears all his hats, right? He's making a killing. But he's like, Ricardo, I got to, you know, I, I want to scale because I'm doing everything. And sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough and or like I'm just so busy. I don't even pay attention to, to certain things and this and that. And I said, yeah, man, you need to incorporate more team members mm-hmm. and start delegating some hats. That way, you know, you can grow and now you can really have a business. Um, the guy before him, it's a little bit step above. So he's doing more deals. He's still wearing multiple hats, but now he's getting to, to the five to ten. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I've had guys here that are doing 30, 40 deals and they don't even know what the seller looks like. Mm-hmm. Or, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So. They just got one that one hat, which is a CEO hat, and they're just handling the puppets basically. So, um, 
Man, you have a great story, Charlie, and and uh, I'm th- I thank you for opening up uh, with uh, the real estate entrepreneurs uh, audience and and being real. You know, uh, this is something we need more in our industry: is real people telling real stories and uh, sharing some of the struggles. That way, um, we learn because I learn every day, mm-hmm. um, and 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 it's pretty when you have uh, all these wins, right? Oh yeah, you know I fucking make a hundred thousand dollars per month, and I drive a Ferrari, and look at the new watch I just got. Right, that's all the byproduct of many different things that came before, and and just to have you come here, fly from California, open up and tell your story, how you went to jail, how you went wearing drugs, how you freaking had your wife save you your life. Uh, you know, that that's amazing, man. Thank you so much for, for opening up your heart, your story, coming to Houston and, 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 and telling people how it is because there is more of us than there is the, the, shi- the, the, the success people that are just showing the success. Um, and, and I wish more people would come out and, and, and share those uh, the struggles. Not that we want to display, um, you know, just setbacks and not wins, but it's for you to understand that you're gonna go through shit, man, and you're gonna have to get up. You're gonna fall down. You're gonna have to get back up. You're gonna have to build a support system. You're gonna have to find that wife or girlfriend that's gonna help you push through, or the husband. Maybe you're a girl yeah. listening to this and you're going through struggles. If you, I mean, we all do. Um, but never give up, like Charlie says. Never give up. He never gave up. I just want to say, Ricardo, um, you know, it's cool until you get hit by Mike Tyson and you hit the canvas, right? But it's when you get up is where the magic happens. You got to get hit. You got to feel that punch by Mike Tyson. And I think a lot of people don't feel it because they're at home and everything's safe. And when you get uncomfortable and you get your the wind knocked out, you really get hit really hard by Mike Tyson. That's when it really starts. That's when you really the growth really begins. Man, thank you so much for sharing that, bro. I appreciate you, Charlie. October 21st through the 24th, guys, the RE3 Mastermind, the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Event and Mastermind in Miami, Florida. This is one you don't want to miss. We have the early bird tickets already out. Uh, The link will be posted below, re3mastermind.com. Charlie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. I I really want to do a repeat with you probably next year. Um, to see how you were able to grow from here now because um, I think you have a pretty bright future and your partner as well on your operation. I know he's about to to uh, to jump uh, full-time into the whole thing and, and um, you know, lose the golden handcuffs, um, <laughs> as we call it. I, that's how I call it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I want to see you guys in about a year again and hopefully next time I can get Tony on the hot seat. And so he can tell us a little bit about his uh, background and his past life. But October 21st to the 24th, guys, re3mastermind.com. That's where you get your tickets. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. Share this with everybody and their mama so they can listen to Charlie Hustle's story, guys. I'll see you on the next one.